0: Hey there! Welcome to another episode of the Thrifty Marketer Podcast. Today we will be chatting with Durendra Pratap Singh, CEO of the Milan Foundation. Milan Foundation is a nonprofit organization, which envisions an inclusive and equal world, where every girl has the knowledge, skills, and social environment to pursue her dreams and explore her full potential. Let's listen to the Milan Foundation story. You know, if if you guys are tuning back in, uh, I'm trying a new microphone. I hope you can all hear me. Uh, Last week, I had a big blooper where I was speaking for two minutes and nobody could hear me. So today, new microphone. I hope I am audible. All right. So if you remember, I have been uh, playing the same tune every week. I started this show to bring on people who are simply amazing, you know, simply awesome as in, They're inspiring to me they will be inspiring to everybody. They do such fantastic work with their startups, with their enterprises, with their subject matter itself. So today I have a special guest, right? Today I have Direndra Pratap Singh, who is the CEO of the Milan foundation. If you guys have not checked out Milan foundation, I want you guys to get away from this video. Go check out the Milan foundation.org. So Direndra Direndra is the chief executive officer and co-founder of Milan foundation. It's a nonprofit organization that envisions an inclusive and equal world where every girl, I repeat, every girl has the knowledge skills and social environment to pursue her dreams and explore her full potential. So these these girls we're talking about, they're coming from various social backgrounds. And they are, uh, Milan and Direndra's team, they're working hard to bring out the leaders in them, right? So I'm super excited to have Direndra here. He, he has a master's degree in developmental studies and a BSc honors in mathematics, which I'm not so excited about, I hate mathematics. He has also been a recipient of the Karamveer Puruskar and Youth Ambassador of, for Peace Award by the Universal Peace Federation. How awesome is that? In 2017, Direndra was part of a delegation to the South Asian Youth Summit in Afghanistan. He's a graduate of the Artira Leadership Accelerator Program by Ficus Social Solutions at IIM Bangalore. An Action for India Fellow 2019 and Gratitude Network Fellow 2020. How awesome is this guy? I cannot wait to bring him on. Let's just meet him. Hey Direndra, Uh, you are on mute.
1: Yeah, hi yeah. Vivek. Thank you so much. I think uh, the introduction was just awesome. I think I have a I have a big name, and I think the introduction was also big. So
0: kind of just- <laughs> thank you so much. You you the kind of work you do, your introduction is much smaller compared to that. Okay, so let's let's right. get into more of about your work and all that. So as I was telling the uh, viewers, you, know, this is a show I started recently when COVID kicked in to just bring on inspiring folks like you. Last uh, you know, I had a lot of inspiring folks coming in. When I single, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Falguni Vasavada. Last week I had Shekar Vijay. And all these people came in, they shared their insights, the journey they have been through this, uh, their entire journey and things like that. So it's an exciting uh, thing for me to speak to people like you and uh, let the viewers also listen to your story so it's it's it goes like this we have a set of 10 to 12 questions which i've curated based on milan milan's work your journey as a person etc etc uh, so i'll shoot one by one at a, at a time and you can take it up as it is
1: Ishaad, Ishaad, go ahead <laughs> <laughs>
0: fantastic all right so uh you know to kick this off uh Dredra, just to just to get a brief background of yours you, i just stole the mathematics honors Right, and you from that you moved to social service and things like that. How did that happen? Um,
1: you know, I think it was a, it was a coincidence, which is also about uh, you know I'll go with that the universe conspired in a way. So I studied <laughs> mathematics, and um, and my idea was it was it was just I think when I got into mathematics, I had a very very set agenda for myself. just going to go into an MBA, pick up a corporate job, and make tons of money. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and it was fortunate because in the second year of my program, uh, I got an opportunity to do a fellowship. We had the summer vacation, and I was like, you know, uh, what to do? So I signed up for this fellowship, got, fortunately got through. It's called as the India Fellowship Program, right. uh, run by I volunteer. And I got an opportunity to live in Uttarakhand and work with an organization called as Himalayan Gram Vikas Samhiti, okay. uh for about six weeks. And um, and I think that six weeks just changed the perspective of life for me uh, from just various angles. Number one is, I started just questioning, saying, "Is it all worth it?" Right? Uh, I was working in a government school, uh, with a typical story of you know few teachers, hundreds of children, and there's too much of mismanagement. Um, but I think a couple of things that came out. One is that it's very easy to uh, to step aside and criticize. Uh, The game is to step in and try to do something. So here I was you know in university you debate and I was part of the debating society and you do all this research and you're like oh this is not working and this fact is this and this and that and you just get into this critical mode but I think as you just kind of uh, walk into the real world uh, you realize the problem is not as linear as you think about and so uh, how do you solve a complex problem? I think that was one. The other thing that hit me was my own privilege. Um, I never came from a rich background but I do come from a middle-class background. Uh, my parents struggled to get all the three kids uh, uh, educated but at the same time, um, you know, I grew up a kid who would just keep on cribbing about something or other, you know, you want something better. Um, and then you're you're here where people, where the kids are, you know, struggling to just get up food. Uh, one meal a day is a fight. Uh, and so you just really Start questioning your own privilege, uh, you know, and and that's the reality we make. We've not done anything to deserve it, you know. The universe just conspired, and we born in a family which invested in our education, make sure we had everything we wanted to eat, you know. The fight for our bargain was, you know, I want a pizza or I want a pasta or you know I don't <laughs> want uh, the lockie tonight. And I think from moving there, you just start looking at the fact that you've not done anything to earn the privilege that you have, uh, but at the same time the privilege has given you uh, the knowledge, the capacity to be able to do something about it. Uh, and I think that was, a, that was a time when I decided to uh, to do something about it. And and I'll be very frank, my initial plan was never to do this lifetime. But that gradually became a journey. You know, it's just you right. fall in love. Uh, you think you're going to go for a one date and then two dates and three dates. And, you, and then you realize i <laughs> the same person. So that's what happened to me uh, as I moved in the development sector
0: right right that, that sounds like an origin story of a superhero you know <laughs> 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 fantastic but I, actually that's why you know that's why i love. I, I same thing happened with me but it's not on the u.s scale what i'm saying is this show for that matter it was just a chat show with me and my friend i just wanted to talk about him talk to him about his business and i started that then i started getting requests and i started looking at my network there are so many freakishly awesome people like you right for example you uh, i i had abhishek majumdar here all these oh, people I mean. they they talk about just the answer you gave right it's, it's 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 i get goosebumps when i hear these kind of things you know because we it's as you said it's very easy to crib about you know you see garbage you crib about. government is not doing nothing but what are you going to do about it is the biggest question fantastic I, like. I think i think that first answer really got me pumped at least right so my next question is again it's a follow up question to that what drives direndra as a social entrepreneur uh i think
1: i think that's a, that's a that's a very interesting uh, question because i think i would answer that question from three different lenses so i'm going to need absolutely. some time uh, absolutely i think there's a there's a personal lens to it i i come from a middle as i said i come from a lower middle class background my father got into the army because Somebody had to do a job. Uh, right. They came from an agricultural kind of background. And I have literally seen uh, the struggle that my parents have gone through to ensure that three of their kids are educated.
0: Right.
1: The reason I mentioned that is because you know when you reflect back, you also see the power of that struggle. Because it's just changed the, it's it, it actually brought in an intergenerational change, right? From what my grandfather's what social and economic status was to my parents to ours uh right. my brother is an army officer my sister is a software engineer uh you know working with a large multinational company based out of australia right. and i'm a social entrepreneur so i think that when you when you get on the reflective journey and you realize what can happen with education you start realizing the power of it as la- literally a magic wand uh, right. it can Absolutely. change generations and i think that is the power i recognize from very early while working at the government schools uh, the second thing that I would say was from an from an issue based perspective that I work with is adolescent girls. Um, right. You know, they're the most vulnerable uh, in the country. There's no doubt about that. We have 120 million adolescent girls in India, right? And we live in 2020. But if you we'll just look at stats, uh, you know, at one angle we talk about going to moon, and the other angle is 40% of our girls are still not completing secondary education. Um, all the government figure says 27% of girls are still getting married before age, the age of 18, which basically is one in five girls in India. And that basically means you get into a vicious circle of poverty and exploitation and abuse altogether, and your entire generation goes for a toss. Um, you know, same, you open the newspaper. I was reading it today. It's horrifying. A three-year-old gets raped in UP uh, and killed, right? That's the world we live in. At the same time, you know, the power to really bring intergenerational and end intergenerational poverty comes from girls. They right. are the silver bullet. If you invest in them, there is data to say that uh, an educated mother is 200 times more, uh, you know, probably to kind of educate her children. So, so the point is here is a population segment that is literally your silver bullet, bullet to end generational poverty. Uh, but interestingly, in India, you'll be surprised, only 3% of our CSR budgets goes on gender. Uh, we don't invest in gender much, um, right. and and so I thought that this is a niche area that we really have to go deep into. It's not about you know, it's not the starfish story of saving one starfish at the time. It is right. about you know, if you know, if I may say so, if we can learn something from the politics, what is happening in the country is, if you really will drive change, It's about right. really just challenging the social norms that that restrict that creates the the narrative that is required. Um, right, and I think. The, the personal uh, story of realizing that this is education is very powerful. At the same time, uh, doing a very calculated assessment of saying that if we really have to solve intergenerational poverty, we need to invest in dogs and girls. I think right. the combination of that and the gap in the ecosystem, I think the three of them comes together for really, really drive me what I'm doing today. Um, and I think I'm really fortunate about, uh, about the opportunity that I have to do what I do. Uh, You know, when you, uh, yeah, I think when you just get busy, a lot of our work is, uh, a lot of my work, I think, personally goes into just writing proposals and requesting people for money and, uh, you know, and getting into program design. But when you look back and, you know, in the busy schedule, when you get one call from one of our girl leaders who say, uh, I just called you to thank you because this has happened and it just, it just takes away all the tiredness and it just says it's worth it. And you right. see and you experience the change. I think when we start experiencing change every day, uh, every day just gives you the motivation to do what you do.
0: Absolutely, I just I, I just got tears in my eyes uh, you know because you know the kind of work you do, whatever work you do as in for your own sake and when you do it for somebody else, the kind of gratitude you feel and kind of kind of uh, feelings you get, it's really overwhelming, right? So I, I know that you know uh, Uh, I'm not very big researcher or a expert on CSR and things like that. But I know that uh, adolescent girls and that specific area which you mentioned is one of the biggest pain point in the country. We have to take it. But it's good that it's people like you are in there, uh, you know, working hard with... I know a lot of your good projects. I have been following your work for some time. And I know that a lot of projects have so much of impact. We'll talk all about that. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic to share that what drives you. All right. So let's let's jump to the main question. So Milan Foundation, a lot of people know it. A lot of people don't. Right. So let's if I were to ask you What is Milan Foundation? What kind of work you do? For somebody who doesn't know Milan? Uh, Yeah, I think thanks you asked the question. So we are a nonprofit organization to kind of begin by.
1: And we primarily work with adolescent girls. right? right? Uh, that's in a nutshell that we do. What right. we do with adolescent girls is uh, we, we use leadership development approaches uh, to look at some of the 360 degree problems that the girl face, girls face. Right? So right. our programs aimed at ensuring that the girls clear secondary education. Our programs aims to make sure that the girls don't get married before the age of 18. Uh, they are prevented and protected from violence and they start recognizing violence. We live in the world where, you know, especially in the Indian society, violence is very uh, normalized and Normal. yeah. yeah. Uh, so they start recognizing it and more than anything, they just have an agency of themselves. Right? Um, the You will live in an era where, uh, you know, especially in the gender notion, if you say, uh, the stories for the girls is written much before they're born. And they're Absolutely. expected to just live that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if I have to give in a brief of what we do, we really challenge that story and we try to change it. Uh, and not us. We want the girls to start challenging that story, start challenging those social norms, and create a new narrative for themselves uh, and see what is possible. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we do it through, as I said, a leadership development approach. We also have a school, which is where we started, actually. Right. Uh, which is very close to my start, uh, my heart, because that's like the foundation of Milan, but that's also foundation of me growing up as an individual. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's what we do. We work with adults and girls around core issues of secondary education, gender-based violence, uh, child marriage, and agency, uh, through a leadership development program. We work in about four states in India, which is Uttar Pradesh, Madhya Pradesh, Karnataka, and Assam. Um, right. And, uh, you know, we have worked with close to about 10,000 girls uh but i think our dream is by 2030 we want to scale up work to reach out to over 10 billion girls and connect them together into a network and that strong enough to really challenge the narrative
0: and create a new one fantastic you know you i think i think you're budding a lot of problems in the uh, you know you're nipping it in the bud itself you know the the narrative as you mentioned before a girl is born even she is told that she'll be getting married at 15 16 whatever uh, it still happens in india that's which is sad right alright so that's that's the kind of work which Milan does again guys if you are listening to this check out milanfoundation.org there lot of lot of data points there lot of amazing they J- just said mentioned the answer in three or four or five sentences but if you go check out their impact page go to the website check out the impact page you can see the figures for yourself the kind of impact the stories of so many girls you know uh talking about the kind of transformation they have gone through by support of these folks go check it out all right uh Jeredra, moving on my next question is i love the phrase when you was, when i was doing the research on milan i love the i love the phrase that building a movement for girl leaders you know girl leaders just stuck by stuck by me so what does that mean to you what does that mean uh so uh, I think when you look at that phrase, uh,
1: you know we might have to do that Hindi Sanji with Chet in a way and, and, and break it down. So one is around girl leaders and the other is around movement. Right. Uh, we started our work with, uh, with girl leaders on, on, a, on a bit of a similar philosophy uh, that you started this channel. Right. Our idea was uh, we were working in education. We ran a school. We ran a school. We still run a school. We ran centers for school dropout girls. But somewhere down the line, we realized something was missing, right? Because uh, you know, when you talk to a parent and say why you're not educating your girls, the person tells you bluntly in our face, "I don't have the money," and so you land starting three centers, and you realize he's still not sending his daughter to the center, right? Uh, and and so the x plus y is equal to z doesn't add some. Uh, and I think that's where we started realizing that the problem is that. You know, as I, from my pri- personal experience, said, I could see the power of education. They just can't, because the ultimate objective uh, of of a girl's life is to get married, uh, and so marriage becomes the ultimate objective. It is not about independent. It's not about education. So, you know, you kind of just start playing around with uh, with that. So, just couldn't see this. But at the same time, uh, they were hearing horrifying stories that comes of violence and exploitation of everyday. Um, I remember when we started the Girl Icon program, one of the incidents that really kicked us in our stomach was the Badayu incident where two Dalit girls were raped and hanged. Mm-hmm. I know there's a movie also now around that. Uh, all for a five rupees raise they had asked for. right? Um, and I think when, when those stories reaches out to, uh, and the media actually makes sure they amplifies themselves, and which is a right. good and a bad side of it. But when those stories reach out to somebody who's very socially and economically uh, disadvantaged, uh, the person starts thinking, saying, if that happens to my daughter, where would I go? Right? Uh, right? The reality is, Vivek, people like you and I, who might have the privilege, still are afraid of going to a police station.
0: Uh, exactly.
1: You know, and we know the justice system is expensive. At right. the same time, like these people just like they just get very afraid about what's happening, right? And right. so we saw that the negative stories had the effect to push them back. So we said, can we bring positive stories to take a jump? When you take right. a two-step back, you can either take it a jump or you could just stay there and say, "You know, I'm right. behind." Uh, and the idea was, can we can we create local role models, right? Because the the stories that we were bringing in from outsides of Kiran Bedi's and sanyam of the world are amazing stories, but a tribal person doesn't connect with them. A ruler person just doesn't connect with them, right? right. Uh, they'll give you an argument of saying, "Oh, they came from Delhi and they have this support, and their father was that." we needed to bring role models from the grassroots somebody who lives in the community somebody who can show them what is possible and that's where the girl leaders concept was born we said can we really invest in these girls to be the future of tomorrow to just show the community of what is possible uh, you know today uh, our girls like i remember one of my inspiration is a girl from raj kumari from bulan when we first went to her village for an interview the women were sitting on the ground because they're not allowed to sit on the same uh, like a court where the men are sitting, and wow. that was that's the gender difference we're talking about. This girl was told that after class eight, there's no point of getting like you know studying. This is this is just useless. Fast forward, she's now in her graduation, and she's enrolled about 16 more girls into school in her village.
0: Wow. Those are
1: the stories we need. That's why we need girl leaders, right? And that's where our work started. Um, now, that's one part. Now, I'm going to come to the second part, which is the movement-building part, right? I think in Hindi, there's a ki, akela chana sakna. So the idea is that once you have one girl leader, if you start creating one one girl leaders, individually, it's very easy to conquer them. And so you need to bring them together into a network, uh, right? The power of collectivization. Uh, and that's where the movement comes in. Right and 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 just to explain a bit more to of the movement building, uh, you know, to your viewers and everybody, just look at the power of the Me Too wave movement. If one person had come out with a story, it would never have become a movement, right? right. People right. would just talk ten things and saying, "Oh, she's saying this because X, Y, Z. But when hundreds of people, women, start coming in, start sharing their story. A lot of people were just pushed back and saying, oh, the problem was so deep. We didn't realize this. This was happening right. in our own office. We didn't realize this. Right. Uh, and I think that's the power of the movement. So right. what we are basically doing is we want to build these scatter of uh, girl leaders across the country and connect them together into a network, a network strong enough to really break the
0: shackles of uh, gender inequality in our country. Absolutely.
1: I think that's what I would brief
0: uh, Brief it for. Yeah. I, I know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm getting the point now because uh, that's what, now it connects because when I went to your website, I was reading stories of girls we were talking about their journey and things. Now I can relate to it that I can imagine that how they would have been prior to meeting you guys. And now the confidence they have in their words, their body language or their pictures, the, the shine on the face itself is too different, right? The power of leadership coming through your education programs, that's just mind-blowing actually. Fantastic. So now, uh, that's a good way to empower uh, kids, basically, right? That's the right way to bring them up as well, right? Right. So uh, you know, so I wanna, I wanna just uh, dig a little bit deeper because you just mentioned a little bit about it. I wanna talk about some of the major projects you guys are working. You know, you have some of them going on. So currently, some of the major projects you are working. If you can share some information on that, that will be fantastic.
1: Uh, uh, Thanks, Vivek. Uh, So in terms of projects, we have two major projects. And I think the biggest program, so so one is our own school, which is what I was talking about we started. So when we started our journey in 2007, we were college kids. Like, I was 18 years old. Um, So we were just college kids. We had no plan to build a school. Uh, Believe me, I don't even know what it meant, actually, building a school. we started with a small learning center in a village in Sitapur. Uh, we knew we wanted to work in rural areas because they right. we were just left behind.
0: Right.
1: Uh, and it was surprising because in next, in three to four months, the center grew from 10 kids to about 48 kids. Um, oh. And then uh, we know the community came together and said, you know, there is no uh, school for about 15 kilometer radius. Can we collectively build one? Uh, we didn't know what it means. But the fact that uh, they actually offered to even donate land uh, and interestingly, Milan was registered because you need to be a legal identity to uh, to you know accept uh, land in a way so that 's how Milan was started and then we built a school. It took us almost ten years to build a school. We run the school for about four hundred kids uh, in Sitapur in Uttar Pradesh It 's called as the Swarachna school. It is the heart of milan 's work uh, and and we 've learned a lot from there. The other program we have is the Girl Icon program, which I was just talking about. Uh, It's a leadership development program for adolescent girls between 12 to 18 years of age who have shown the courage and commitment to drive change in their own lives, uh, but also lives of other people. Uh, So that's the the Girl Icon program. I do want to talk a bit about the design of the Girl Icon program in a way. Sure, Um, sure. So, uh, so the curriculum program, you know, when we were doing research and saying, okay, so how should we do a leadership program for adolescent and girls? Uh, we said it needs to be, you know, uh, it needs to be built on a leadership pedagogy because leadership starts on self, right? It's not just screaming on the street and saying, oh, this needs to change. It needs to start, uh, you know, with, uh, with changing yourself. Uh, right. and, and so uh, the, our, our leadership program is built on this philosophy of leading self, leading others, and leading social change. Uh, all talk no action is is always a bad idea Um, so when we select these girls and they are selected through a very rigorous process uh, just to give you some numbers of what I'm talking about the last batch we onboarded was 250 fellows uh, but we had sixteen thousand applications Wow Uh, Wow so it was just like it it was a lot of work to just do shortlisting and we have question ourselves saying you know are we even Uh, competent enough or equipped enough to do such a uh, a micro level of uh, shortlist. So once these girls are selected, uh, they get into this two-year journey, which has about four residential training for about a week long. After the first residential training, the girl uh, goes back to her village, and she mobilizes about 20 more girls. And so now these 21 girls meet every 15 days on a predefined curriculum. In the second training, it becomes interesting, because now they're trained on design thinking principles. Wow. So now when they go back, these 21 come together and look at one issue that impacts their lives the most in their community. And they design a project around it. Uh, the project is also interesting, because uh, the girls have to do everything. They are given a budget of 2,500 rupees and a target of 100 people. Uh, and imagine, this is like you know a girl who's not moved, allowed to move out of a house, is now supposed to stand in front of 100 people in the village and give a talk. Like, right, you know? right. and I think that's a transformation journey in a way. So if you look at the two-year journey, uh, you know, it's leading south. So one girl works with about 20 girls and these 21 works with about 200 people. And that's how, uh, you know, the change ripples itself. So, so that's how the Girl Icon program is. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very deep program in a way from design. And the program has also been independently evaluated by UC Berkeley. Uh, to look at its
0: impact, and so that we could potentially uh, scale the program. Fantastic! Sixteen thousand two hundred and fifty girls. <laughs> that, yeah. that itself would have dro- drove you bonkers. Anyways, I but but, but yeah. what what I'm what I'm seeing here is like imagine me coming out of college. I had no idea. I was put into sales and going to a, going to a job, and I had done an MBA, and I was baffled on my first week. I had no idea how sales were Imagine a village girl you're picking up by giving her a 2500 rupees stipend or whatever you want to call that and asking her to solve a major problem that's affecting her in a village where people are thinking in the old school that's that's i i i can't i don't want to clap right now but that's that's a uh that project design is out of this world actually. fantastic right so uh, you know another another one thing uh, a follow-up question on this is i want to talk a little bit about milan school you know you mentioned how it came it's an interesting concept. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of uh, curriculum is run there, and what kind of activities uh, are happening in Milan School? Uh, so,
1: yeah. So Milan School, in a way, uh, we are now a government-recognized school. So we are a K to twelve school. We recognized uh, till class twelve, and so there's a lot of uh, the curriculum design that we have to follow is the government curriculum design. So we're now right. I think. Uh, we follow the UP board because we are in UP, uh, and the textbooks have moved to NCRD. Right.
0: So I think
1: that's from the curriculum perspective. Uh, I do want to, uh, you know, talk about how the Milan School became eye opener for us. Uh, you know, from many instances, right? So when we started working, how does even gender click my our uh, mind? I went to a boys' school, and I think I never thought about a girl a boy sitting together on a common desk is a problem. Uh, you know, and then when we when we, uh, when we started uh, for initial years, it was just very challenging for us. We were not allowed to build toilets within the school. Uh, you know, the girls and boys will not even talk to each other. Forget sitting in, like, you know, so we will have these four rows in the classrooms, and automatically in fifteen minutes, the two rows will separate <laughs> two rows will separate themselves, and there'll be like the COVID social distancing that is maintained. Uh, you know, there, and it was just interesting. They would not have a conversation. Right. Um plus the caste dynamic was humongous. We so we, you know, from the very beginning we realized that we work in a one of the like a poorest area, and Sitapur is one of the poorest districts in the country. Okay. Um and our children were massively nude malnutrition. Uh so we started with a uh, lunch program and we said we'll give them a proper lunch. Uh you know, and it was interesting because uh the child will eat lunch or not depends upon who's cooking the lunch and who's serving it. Uh, something which was completely unimaginable from at least from where I came from. Right, and right. for initial years, we were like, what is this, right? If you're hungry, somebody's giving you food, eat it. Like it's common sense, right? But they will right. not. Um, and I think that's where we started understanding how, how the problems are not as linear as I said. It's not somebody's hungry, get their food. There is a right. social component. There is a caste dynamic to it. There is a gender dynamic to it, and a lot of this is tangled in each other. Uh, untangling it is which I would say, our define our, our journey of the school kind of comes in. Uh, right. From the fact that where we started, the girls and boys will not even talk to each other. To now we have a common school kabaddi team for girls and boys, right? I think right. we've just come a very very long way uh, in that sense in terms right. of the education i think we've tried our best we i would definitely say that i would not claim ourselves to be the most innovative school in the country uh, right. i think that definitely people have done a much better job in terms of pedagogy and innovation uh, right. but i think in our sense with our limited knowledge and expertise we've definitely tried to be a lot innovative uh, just considering that the children we're working with from a knowledge perspective lag behinds a lot uh, right. you know, a kid who's coming in as for class 4 probably doesn't even know how to write his or her name um but convincing the parent to tell them that the child doesn't know it is not an easy job uh so so it's a it's a battle that you kind of just pick up and you say okay you know i'm going to just probably put the kid in the grade three that's a negotiation i can have but but still there's a long way to go so i think a lot of innovation has happened there um uh, the other thing that i will talk about which is the foundation of the school is just the uh the marriage with the community right so we had uh uh, when we when we started as a center, we had people who were in class, young people who were in class 11th or 12th who came to volunteer. And now they've done like a master's and a beard and they work as a full-time teacher in the school. Wow. Uh, and we supported their education over the course. So we were, I think, um, you know, with all the reading we were doing and our own experience, one thing was very clear, that until unless you have a project that people own, you cannot uh, run it remotely. I always joke about it, saying long-distance relationship doesn't work. So right. if you don't build projects that the community is going to own, you can't. You will never be able to sustain the aid. And I think that is what has become the power of the school itself. Uh, it was the only senior secondary school in about 15-kilometer radius. And fortunately, now we have another school, which is the government school, which is open nearby. Uh, but the school has really helped the community uh, and has gone far beyond just being an education center. We run a community library, which is pretty open to everybody. Uh, in the COVID times, we have supported uh, close to about 500 families in nearby villages mm-hmm. to just put food on the table. Right. Uh, we have done a lot of campaigns in the village uh, around issues that the villagers kind of think about, you know, and also supporting the government in a lot of advocacy work. So school becomes like, a, I think in a true definition, a school is always a community center.
0: Uh, and that's how we we envision the Milan school to be in Singapore fantastic and when you started it you were just 18 <laughs> that's that that's a big that's the biggest deal for me right at 18 i don't know what i was thinking about <laughs> yeah. anyways that's but, fantastic my parents say the same thing you know i don't know what he was thinking about so. <laughs> anyway whatever you thought it was good and it's going in the right direction that's all i can say yeah. right so let's let's talk about you know uh, kind of you, your projects had so much of impact in multiple areas, right? So if you want to talk about the impact over these so many years, you guys have been putting effort in, if you can share some of those information, that'd be fantastic.
1: Uh, Yeah. So I think I'm going to start with the school because I was talking about how the school has become uh, like a source of inspiration for us. Uh, You can imagine when we started the school, our past, the past percentages in that area. Uh, was uh, was less than one percent. So that basically means less than one percent of the kids were passing class ten in that area. Um, right. And now I think in the last, you know, and the fast forward bit scenario, in the last five years, we have the the, the Swarajna School has delivered hundred percent results,
0: both in class tenth
1: and class twelve. Wow. Uh, which is just amazing because that means yeah. that there are many children that are kind of graduating around it. Right. Uh, I think over the last ten years of the school, we've supported over a thousand children. A lot of them through scholarships and programs. We've also supported, and our journey with many of the children don't just end once they graduate from the school. It goes beyond, and we try to support them wherever we can. But I think right. the tenth to twelfth results, because they compete or the national, like a state level, sorry, becomes a major uh, major impact factor that we look at.
0: Right.
1: Uh, in terms of the girl icon program, where where the number games kind of comes in for us, where yeah. we work with a large number of girls, we actually look at impact from two lenses, which is the typical the qualitative and the quantitative lens. Um, right. So I think from a quantitative perspective, some of the stats that we hold it is that we try to compare the progress or the impact against the national average, right? So, uh, so like for example, the for the school dropout uh, for for secondary education, where the national average for dropout is about 40%. Uh, that basically means only sixty percent of the girls that get enrolled in school complete secondary education. In right. Milan's case, about ninety-five percent girls do that. Right, wow. uh, sixty to ninety-five percent uh, percent jump. Similarly, if you look at child marriage, as I was talking about, it's one of the biggest evils that we kind of live in. Um, right. The national average is that about twenty-seven percent of girls get married before the age of eighteen. In Milan's case, that percent is actually less than one. Wow. Um, you know and and i think that's where we've been able to kind of bring uh change massively same in right. terms of adolescent health when we talk about you know young girls sexual reproductive health is one of the major aspects right because right. that has kind of grow into an adult um and so the national kind of you know research shows that only 28% of adolescent girls are aware about sexual reproductive health and in Milan's assessment that number goes from 28% to 96% right oh. uh, um, and these are all these are all proper assessments scientifically done. They're not just right. like you know uh me putting it together. Um <laughs> yeah, and interestingly, same for gender-based violence. Uh, you know, the, the the national average is only 48% girls actually recognize gender-based violence as something that is um, unconstitutional and discrimination uh, discriminatory right. or against human rights. And right. In Milan's case, the number goes up to about 80%. So I think right. on number-wise, we've definitely seen a huge jump happening in both in terms of change of in the knowledge skills and the 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 you know the major things on education and child miles and milestone uh, changes. At the right. same time, I think we've also looked at impact from uh, from a qualitative lens of you know uh, of what does it actually mean. So um, I think from a qualitative lens, the leadership qualities of the girls have just gone at a very different level. Uh, I can just give you a sense that. From a fact that you know um, we have a we have an alumni of about 114 fellows, 15 of those alumni actually now work with Milan to run the program.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, <laughs> so that cycle we've actually built in. We are actually building an advisory board now, which will be part of our board, and this advisory board comprises of girl leaders, and now they will direct the management of how to run the program. Uh, that's wow. the confidence we are putting on them because we've seen that kind of change. Um, you know, if I may, I'm going to read this. Actually, it's a quote from Please. the UC Berkeley assessment report, um, which I think would be more scientific to kind of put across in terms of impact. It says, "Milan's Girl Icon Program provides essential empowerment training for girls who may not otherwise receive the training. The program is an excellent stepping stone, exposing girls to structural gender challenges and encouraging to believe in their own abilities." and to foster a sense of self. Um, this is from the UC Berkeley report as that comes into it. Right? Right, so both right. from a qualitative and quantitative perspective, we've actually seen the program creating a big significant impact uh, in the lives of girls. Um, I think if I may just add on it anecdotally, you know, if you look at our own lives, uh, that's what I talk about the knowledge, skills, and attributes of social environment in our mission statement that we read out. That's all it is. right? Our parents gave us the knowledge or access to knowledge. They gave us the access to skills. They gave right. us a social environment. right? They gave us right. make sure you study for eight hours and you could become an whatever, engineer, doctor, whatever they think about. But they created that environment to support it. And so these girls don't have. What right. I mean to say is that I think there are aspirations. Young India has a lot of aspirations, both young boys and girls. All they need is a pathway or access to, to take that aspiration to a level. And I think what Sorry. the program actually does is to provide that access. But while Absolutely. saying that, that we're going to just show you the road, you have to walk it. We're not going to walk the road for you. Uh, and I think that's that's the core impact of the program that we see. Uh, and these girls are amazing. I'm not just talking about, like I was not even just a Milan perspective. But uh, believe me, Vivek, many times they have just challenged us, our own approaches in the Milan, to kind of think about how we're approaching the right thing. Uh, you know our idea of really looking at them as a second line of leadership for the organization and the program has come from the fact that they're just extraordinary, you know, from from stopping child marriages to enrolling girls back into school to having conversation around menstruation, uh, and the kind of innovative projects they've done. Some of those things that I would say at their age, which is 14, 15, 16, I would not be able to do that,
0: you right? Know, right. Uh,
1: if I have to, uh, if I have to do a video of myself, uh, and this is, you know, just uh, I, I, I always, uh, me and my wife always get into this tussle about, you know, clicking selfies, and because I just don't like, I, I sometimes feel I'm not that confident enough to have so many pictures around and all of that. And then you see these girls, right? They have, they have so much of confidence to make their videos. Uh, we had a girl who's made a fantastic video around COVID awareness. Uh, you know which went even to the Ministry of Health website and they were just talking about it and, and I was like how did this, she do editing she doesn't even have a laptop I, I have a Macbook here and I don't know how to edit a <laughs> okay. that's the that's the, uh, that's the power that's the exceptional power that they have come I think our support and I know I'm going to sound humble here but seriously our support is uh, is, is just to stand by them the most of the hard work in the journey is what our girls do. And that's yeah. why we, that's the impact we create. And that's the, that's why we just salute them for every fight they pick up every day, so that their daughters and the next generation doesn't have to uh, to fight the
0: same battle. Right. I can, I can, I can uh, sense the excitement in your voice when you're talking about the girls who have gone through Milan's program, you know? So, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a little bit too modest here. Yeah? No, you know, or too humble because without a program like this, I am pretty sure these girls would not have reached. Maybe they would have reached, but this is a perfect stepping stone, like UC Berkeley has rightly put it. This is the perfect stepping stone for them to at least realize that they have so much of potential in them. And the best testimony for that is they coming in and advising you about the programs to be designed in that way. That's a perfect testimony for that. All right. So, let's talk a little bit about the future plans. What are the future plans of Milan
1: Foundation? Uh, I'm going to just break it down in terms of, I'll give you the the, the aspiration, right? The mission. By 2030, 10 years down the line, in 10 years rather, we want to build a Girl Icon Fellow in every block in the country. That's what we're living our dream for. That's the dream. I know it's an audacious one, but that's a dream. Uh, right. you know we have covered close to about 250 blocks uh in the country but the goal is 10,000 so it's a far it's a far goal um, right. and we believe you know we will be able to do this but that's what we want to do in terms of the larger picture um, in terms of tangibles in terms of in the short term i think uh which i'm when i say short term in the three to five years plan uh, we are working on an idea to convert our school into a girl leadership academy, uh, inspired by Oprah's leadership academy in South Africa. We've studied the model, and we really want to do a leadership academy within our own campus. Uh, that also means that we will be starting a residential campus for about 400 girls uh, to do their secondary education. And that also becomes a training center for all the leadership trainings that we do. So we want to develop the school into that. That's a three to five year plan. Uh, simultaneously in the next 3 to 5 years we want to focus on the couple of states that we're looking at which is up and mp um, interestingly i do want to talk a bit about uttar pradesh because it's a very very interesting space, uh, state uh Absolutely. it has a, it is the largest population uh, right. and i don't know i don't know many people know or not but if if ever up is declared as an independent country the fifth largest country in the world uh, okay. you know, so and it's very politically active uh, I know it's a key statement to make, but if you just look at the distribution of seats, uh, it's somewhere UP that decides who will be the prime minister of the country, who the central government would be, right? Uh, right? At the same terms, there are very few powerful projects in UP. Uh, I can't tell you how many donors say no to me just because I work in UP. They would say amazing program, amazing work, but you know we don't want to get into UP. It's a bit scary. Right. Uh, but anything. So I think the point I'm saying is the next three to five years, uh, we want to focus on Uttar Pradesh, go deeper. We have, uh, in, our, in our first uh, slot, that of the work that we did on the Pradesh, we picked up 13 blocks out of 75. Sorry, 13 districts out of 75. And we build a girl icon in every every block in these 13 districts, which is about 200 blocks. Uh, we want to move from 13 to 75 uh, and also cover MP. If you cover UP and MP, you've covered almost 35 to 40% of adults in population.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: okay. Right. And so that's where our our target is going to be uh, over the next uh, few years. Um Fantastic. You
0: know. Yeah. That's that's. Uh, I'm pretty sure you you will accomplish all these targets for sure because your your drive is so high. You are so clear about your 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 end goal. It's gonna it's gonna happen for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I want I want I want to talk a little bit about COVID nineteen. I know that Milan has some interesting programs designed around COVID-19 for the communities or where these adolescent girls are from. So can you talk about a little bit of those programs which you have, you know, uh, it was an impromptu design maybe, but due to the situation, uh, maybe talk about the COVID-19 programs? Uh, yeah, so I think
1: uh, nobody was prepared for COVID-19, right? It was uncertain times. Uh, it's just like you sleep and you wake up in a new world altogether. Uh, right. But I think. Just from the history of uh, pandemics and disasters across the world, we know that girls and women are are the one who will be the most affected. We Absolutely. knew it initially. And, and COVID is just the horrifying stories that came in. COVID just proved us right, right? Uh, right. The lockdown happened. Migrant workers went back. But even within the families in the houses, frustration went out in form of violence on women and girls. Absolutely. when there was lack of food they were the last and the least to be fed um, you know now as i said with unicef and malala they balala fund they're putting a report saying millions of girls will might never want will might never will give go back to school um, so i think these are data that are coming out now but i think just from the history's experience of how uh, women and girls are treated in these scenarios we knew that we need to jump in uh, right. you know, COVID also affected a lot of our funding scenario. So organizationally, we were affected massively because a lot of funding gets diverted into others, other uh sources. And but then also we took a pause and think we need to do something. So what did we do? A couple of things. Right. Number one, uh we we dependent on our we went back to our girl leaders and said, We are with you, let us know whatever we can do, and we are standing by you. Um, so, you know, from our from our girl icons and the other girls, the peer groups, which is about six thousand girls, uh, we literally did a one-to-one mapping. It's like that football game with a man-to-man mapping strategy with understanding what's happening there and what how can we support. Uh, couple of things. We number one, we realized awareness was at a different level altogether. Uh, right. we actually were into the communities. I know it's an anecdotal I would, uh, extent, but people actually believe that if we drink pigeons blood, they will not have COVID. And so there were people trying to kill pigeons to drink blood. So we thought, you know, it has to be like a very major part. So our girl icons actually made handmade posters and placed at various parts of the community uh, to create awareness around around COVID. Number two, they identified families who really needed the help on an urgent basis. We supported almost 2,000 families uh, in a very diverse approach. Uh, There were some families that we gave Direct cash transfers from 1500 to 5000 rupees to their families. We provided rationally uh, because not everybody had access to bank accounts, and not everybody could yeah. actually go to banks to withdraw money or ATMs to withdraw money. And also right. for right. villages, you know, ATM means like a 12-kilometer walk, right. Uh, right. and lockdown that was difficult. So, uh, so that was the second thing that happened. The third thing that we did was uh, we launched a helpline uh, with our partner, and we said, anybody who needs help within our network, call here. And help is not only just for food and stuff. There's also a lot of mental health issues, a lot of domestic yeah. violence issues, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so the helpline was really helpful. The fourth one was uh, where the girls actually just got into finding solutions to their local problems. So many of our girls actually hand-stitched masks and distributed to the community workers in their communities. Wow. They taught how to make hand, uh, how to make sanitary napkins out of cloth in the villages because access to sanitary napkin was very challenging. Uh, yeah so i think a lot of that happened from a uh, from a relief rehabilitation perspective from a program perspective it was very interesting um, we had to go virtual right and we didn't know what it means um, <laughs> and uh, you know we delivered almost a 40 hours of training on zoom uh which sometimes looking back my team thinks i don't know how we did it actually but a lot of that credit also goes to the girls. Uh, you know access to mobile phones was a challenge access to data was a challenge um, and I was surprised, you know. If I am at the airport, and sometimes when you're traveling abroad, and you're at the airport, and you do ask a stranger for a phone, I think, boy, <laughs> so. I would spend like 15 minutes staring at the person and like, oh, you know, it's probably my last chance to ask him. Um, but these girls even requested their neighbors to give them smartphones to attend these trainings, uh, and we we did. We realized that they, you know data is expensive, and we we sponsored the data. Uh, but we delivered the training. We continued the uh, the virtual trainings and virtual tie-ups and phone conversations. Um, but then to work with such a large number, we need more human resources. That's where I alumni jumped in, right? And they just started supporting the program team uh, and start handling, handling it. Uh, so I think what COVID taught us uh, as an organization was uh, that the biggest strength that we have as an organization is our girl leaders, both for being the voices on the ground to tell us what's happening and where is the support needed, and also to provide it uh, right at both ends. So they're the biggest trend that we have. That's one. Number two is uh, I think scenarios like this really push you to think innovatively. Believe me, if six months down the line, you've talked about virtual training and bring trainings on phone calls. I was like, no. We have to bring them physically. We have to meet them. There's a power, you know, because the program also allows many of these girls who never moved out of their houses to kind of come to a big city like Lucknow or Bhopal to an entry. Um, right. I think it really pushed us to push our boundaries and challenge our own baggage of saying, ye kar paenge, ho to say, okay, this is also possible, right? Um, right? So I think that's been an interesting journey. But organizationally, we've been hit massively. So that's what we're trying to figure out. How do we cope up with that?
0: Got it. Got so it's 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 a, it's a classic example of when there is a will, there is a way. Right. <laughs> so girls figured it out. Fantastic. Right. So my next question will be I know fundraising. Fundraising when it comes to not for uh, non profits, it's toughest thing to do. Right. So how how does Milan manage your fundraising efforts?
1: Um. So. Milan's fundraising is a combination of uh, support that comes from uh, corporate donors, individual donors, uh, and foundations. Uh, right. One of our largest donors has been the EdelGift Foundation from the Edelweiss Group, uh, which is also our anchor donor. Uh, you know, which has been our anchor donor actually, uh, and that basically means they've covered most of our organizational costs. And, okay. uh, and and so that's been there. And we're very thankful to them. And then we work with global foundations like Girl Rising. uh, We work with IIT. Um, In India, we also work with Reliance Foundation. So various funds of things. Um, But I would say the core of our organization's strength comes from individual donors, people who support us with as little as 500 rupees a month, which means a lot, believe me, um, to people who support us to 5 lakhs a year. But I think individual donors who have invested in Milan has actually really built the foundation of the organization uh, because their money comes on trust and they believe in our work and doesn't come to a lot of terms and conditions. Right, Whereas right. other money comes to the tons of terms and
0: conditions. So That's
1: they allow right. us to do whatever innovation innovative work we want to do uh, in the lab right.
0: right. So you know so this is again like a follow-up question on that. Like you guys are doing a fabulous work you know. Whoever has listened to you for last 50 minutes pretty sure might have their socks would have been blown off. You know, because a normal person like me, I cannot think or even imagine doing work like you. You know, it's 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 on another level as as itself. So, how can people join this movement? Right. For example, a person like me, how can I be a part of this kind of movement which Milan is uh, Milan is driving? How can individuals be part? Uh- I think I'm going to
1: I'm going to disagree a bit on that. I think I think when you, whenever you talk about a process of change, uh, you know there are people who are doing the work on the ground, but there are also people who enable them to do the work. Uh, okay, so yeah. I think it's a collective process, right? And and, um, and and we've been able to do what we have been able to do because of support that we get from from individual donors. Uh,
0: right.
1: So I think as individuals, I would say invest in girls. You know, invest in girl leaders. Uh, one is Milan. We would love if the donation come to us, but if not Milan, in your local community, investment. in uh, That's that's the that's all you can do to actually create a long-term impact. In terms right. of Milan, uh, you know, we we have a monthly giving program. So please go on our website, which is you know, as Vivek has also mentioned, MilanFoundation.org. Consider signing up for a monthly donation as little as hundred and fifty rupees. Uh, I'm sure you know. Hundred and fifty rupees is not even a cup of coffee.
0: Um, if
1: you feel generous, feel pile in for a bigger amount. You know, pile in as a monthly donor. Donor uh, support the movement. Uh, invest long term into an organization because that's how Milan will be able to reach that ten year goal. Um, okay. And and believe me, when I say I'm not going to make a cliche statement, but every penny counts. Uh, you know, I have a I have a friend who uh who support started supported us when we in 2008 actually um, and he said uh, you know in a very de- delhi tone is like bye i can only do 100 rupees and yeah. that 100 will now grow to a thousand rupees a month but i can't tell you that in the 10 years support he's done that money has helped us out in in places where we we just couldn't have access to other money and it keeps on accumulating
0: and really supports it right
1: uh, so yeah i think believe in the power of that you can actually do something like we tell the girl icons You have to take action. Our our tagline for them is stand up, raise your voice, take charge. So I'll tell individuals also, don't think that you are an ocean in the drop, which is what a lot of people, a lot of us think and say, oh, we don't know what we can do. You can do a lot. Uh, You know, Volunteer with us. You can sign up as volunteers. You can sign up as mentors. You can donate. Uh, Help start local chapters in your cities to maybe take the Girl Icon program in your own city. Uh, you know, we are not a corporate. We don't have a property right over the program. So if a group of people can come together and say I want to take this program to, you know, a village in Tamil Nadu, we'll be more than happy to work with you to do that. And and so let's right. just try to see how do we turn this program into a movement because that's what it right. should be. To
0: do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So whoever is watching this or maybe later when you watch the YouTube video, make sure you check out at least, you know, don't do anything but check out milanfoundation.org i'm pretty sure you will see how much effort these guys and their vision the kind of impact they're having and so many girls are getting their lives changed if i uh, if i may use that phrase you know so be part of it donate not donate doesn't matter but try to be volunteering becoming a mentor like like Deirdre said start a chapter if you if you feel that's your cup of tea right so all of us together can make a lot of difference right so veerendra my last question this question you've tackled it a little bit uh, in between on the flow of things but this is a question i ask every guest who comes here these are tough times right covid 19 how it has impacted you i can see you are already tired on a friday evening is it because of covid impact or too much of work or oh, i don't know but too how has perfect. covid you impact- <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know uh, covid impacted you as well as milan what was the impact so far?
1: Uh, I think individually, I would say COVID gave me time to reflect uh, in the initial days because you know it is uh, we had too much happening in the organization with with donors backing out, money getting diverted, challenges on the ground. You were hearing, um, you know, and it's it, it, it's you know sometimes when we put numbers, uh, we talk about you know we work with X number of girls and blah blah blah. But actually, they're real lives. So when you get a call from somebody and saying, you know, there's been a case of violence or somebody's child marriage or something is happening, it disturbs you. And what COVID did was it it taught you to be in a closed room and process it because you can't do anything about. Uh, Right. So I think it just taught me personally a lot of patience uh, to reflect in, uh, really understand what I am in the larger universe uh, and the role I can play. So you know, in and and saying this in the organizational context now, I'm one of the co-founders and I work as a CEO. A lot of time, you know, just as a head of an organization, you want things to be under your control uh, because that's where you get your comfort, right? Uh, and what right. COVID does, it just throws you out of the bathtub and says, "Boss, you're naked out there now. Figure it out." <laughs> um, and I think that's exactly what happened. So personally, I think I've, I've learned to be much more patient. I have, um, I have. Um, I've actually experienced the impact of the work that we've created by girl icons taking charge on the ground because we could it, um, right. you know, which has been very motivating. And personally, I've got a lot of time to connect with my family, which I'm very happy about. Otherwise, I travel a lot, so you know, that's the other part. I can
0: understand.
1: Um, Organisationally, as I said, uh, our, we were we were in we were almost in the process of raising money for our next five-year strategy, and we had some large commitments which were coming in, uh, which went for a complete toss. Uh, rather, we were the were cases where people were telling us, Oh, they didn't figure out how to survive for the next 24 months because you might not get any money in the 24 months. And I'm like, What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so, I think organizationally, as I said, uh, you know, like for example, we hit massively and therefore we went back to our retail donors and we we're trying to seek funds. One of our biggest gaps is like our girls are graduating in October. And as a promise, we give them about 20,000 rupees of uh, learning grant as an education scholarship. But two of our donors who had initially promised to support that actually backed out. So we are running a Facebook campaign. We are trying to reach out to people to see if any, you know, if we can all pitch in Swansman out of money uh, to raise the 30 lakhs we need to give them scholarships. So yeah, massive hit. But I think I love the team's energy that is kind of put in the girls who inspire us every day. Uh, and I hope that we've learned a lot in the process. And we'll come out uh, stronger, a bit more optimistic, a lot of hope and energy in the new and uh, the post-COVID
0: world absolutely absolutely i'm pretty sure you will do all that uh, and there uh, first of all my humble uh gratitude for you to joining the show uh, i've never met you in person but uh, i i can see uh you know what kind of person you are by your words and your body language and the vision you have you know so i'm really 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 uh grateful that you joined and shared bilan's story here that's i just called it bilan's story when i was posting it on social but it's much bigger than a story you know it's 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 like an epic thing so uh, i will be one of your cheerleaders on your journey ahead for sure uh and uh, stay safe thank you so much for joining me today
1: so thank you so much vivek i think i'm really uh, privileged to be on the platform uh, i loved speaking with you thank you so much uh, you've and been very, very generous with your words and uh, and, and, and I think I would love the design of
0: the conversation.
1: So really I, appreciate
0: so- I hope more and more people watch KSMB Talks and I would be looking forward to your next episode soon. Thank you so much. Stay safe and see you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Same here. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. All right. That was Direndra Pratap Singh, CEO of the Milan Foundation. Guys, please, please, please go check out the Foundation.org. You know, these are the times when we all need to step up for the adolescent girls in the country like uh dhiren and steam he they have a lot of their vision is so ambitious we all need to support them and i'm so grateful that he came out to the show and shared his story thanks for listening in for more such exciting episodes please follow the thrifty marketer podcast see you soon